Welcome everyone. I am in the studio at Lehigh University with uh, Luis Zuluaga and Thomas Talaki. Both of them are um, faculty at uh, Lehigh University and uh, we are here to discuss quantum computing. They'll tell us a little bit uh, about what it is and then they'll talk a bit more about some of the research that they're undertaking which uh, is quite interesting once you get to understand the extent of it. So first uh, I will let them introduce themselves. Luis. Uh, hi Patrick, uh, so my name is Luis Zuluaga. I'm co-director of the Masters in Science in Financial Engineering at Lehigh University. I'm also an associate professor at the Industrial Systems Engineering Department. You know, as you said, uh, and lately we have started out some work on quantum computing, so happy to discuss it. My name is uh, Tomas Delaki. Hello, everybody. I'm uh, uh, the George and Sotiria Kadaras and the chair professor of the Industrial Engineering Department at Lehigh uh, University. In the past uh, decade, as a department chair, I was also closely involved in the development and furthering of the analytical uh, finance program, which is now called financial engineering. And with my colleagues, with Zulaga and uh, the Foreign Navy, are also now uh, closely involved in quantum computing and uh, in the frame of a significant uh, DARPA project. Okay, so quantum computing. Let's before we get uh, too much into the weeds, let's make sure we understand what we are talking about. And my understanding is that quantum computing has to do with quantum mechanics. Uh, maybe, Louis, you could tell us a little bit what that is. Sure. So, I mean, the, the example that I like to give when, when I'm discussing quantum mechanics or quantum computing is uh, uh, light. So, actually, about the 1700s, uh, there was a big discussion about whether light was a wave or where light was particles, say like an electron. So Newton was pushing for the idea that uh, light was a particle because it showed properties of a particle like the wave shadows are made are, are very well defined so that means that light is traveling in a straight line like a particle. But then there was another guy Huygens that you know showed also that the light has properties of a wave. Uh, there is this famous experiment of putting light through a prism, and you see the different colors. So there was a big discussion at that time, you know, whether light was a particle or a wave. Because if you do experiments, sometimes light behaves like a particle, sometimes as a wave. So this was something that was discussed for years, for years, for years, and you know, only recently in the 1900s, finally, the answer was that light is both a particle and a wave. Uh, so, of course, this is difficult to, for us to, to understand in the classical world, but basically light is a superposition of two states, of a particle and a wave. So, it's, if you are not observing a light particle, it's in both states. Once you try to measure light, depending on how you do it, it, be, it, it shows the properties of a particle or a wave. And that's the main idea of quantum mechanics, is that states or, or things are in a superposition of states. 
quantum computing takes advantage of those superposition properties that in classical computing, a bit is either a zero or a one. In quantum computing, a qubit is in a state that is a combination of a zero or a one. And that can be exploited different areas of computation and, and in particular in financial engineering. Um, I think that's that's different. Uh, um, quantum computing. What does it look like? What does a quantum computer look like, first of all? Um, I haven't seen one personally. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is saying I it's pretty big. Mine is saying it's it's got a cooling yes. system. Yes. It's uh, you can't something that you can't uh, you know you, 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 on, your, on your desk for example. Right. So, so you, you can look at Google and there are many many images of quantum computer there. It's mostly shiny, a lot of gold, uh, and it's real gold because uh, so the quantum chip is a small thing. It's a small thing like a chip in a, in your computer, but all what you see is the cooling system and all the other <coughs> let's say engineering uh, design around because the quantum computer is uh, really existing uh, in a temperature which is close to the absolute zero. So in room temperature, you don't have quantum computer. <coughs> and that's one of the major obstacles of having a quantum computer on your desk today. <coughs> because you have to cool down the quantum chip to the absolute zero. Okay, so so minus two hundred seventy. So some more basics. Uh, some more basics. So uh, and the reason why uh, I think Google uh, had some interesting finding last July um, on on that on that issue. But uh, so why are we looking to quantum computing? Why can't we just stay where we have and make the chips go faster and faster and faster? So th there are really two sides of it. Uh, chips faster and faster uh, with the silicon-based chips, what we are having all of our laptops, iPhones, uh, desktop computers today. Uh, essentially, by narrowing the wire length, uh, narrowing the distance between the wires burned into the silicon, uh, we reach the level that you cannot really get finer. If you make it finer, then essentially the electrons are jumping over the isolation material and you have only noise, you don't have conduction anymore. Like in the everyday room, you simply have wires where electricity is going on. Now, if that's going to be that atomic level, then uh, simply you cannot get it uh, smaller. So the current uh, uh, silicon-based computer chips are already very close to that level. So you, uh, if you watch also for more than a decade by now, um, <coughs> your laptop, your computers are not really getting faster chips. They are getting more uh, cores, more <coughs> CPUs. They are getting more capacity in many other ways, but simply the chip itself is not going to be faster. Uh, <coughs> it just simply reached very close to the physical limitation of it. Uh, if you think about quantum computing theoretically, uh, as uh, <coughs> uh, my colleague said, that uh, every qubit is in a superposition. It's like <coughs> both 0 and 1 and anything between at any time. It's not just the binary which we are used to in, uh, since uh, the 1940s when Turing machine was designed. <coughs> so that's the theoretical model for the com 
computers today. There is a other theoretical computer, fundamental computer science mathematical model for quantum computers. And that's where there's a big potential. <clears throat> the big potential that uh, essentially due to this superposition of the qubits, uh, you can detect exponentially many potential combinations in the same time. So there's a huge potential there. <clears throat> but to make that physically happening, we still have to work uh, a lot of work done. Material science, electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, and many other theoretical <laughs> and practical developments. You mentioned qubits. W what is that exactly? Is it a measure of something? Or? No, so, I mean, a qubit is um, what, you know, is, is kind of the hardware that will keep, um, you know, this a state combination between a zero or a one. So, I mean, a, a, for example, a qubit could be, you know, a, you know, a photon is kept there, you know, and a photon, say, can have spin up, you know, it's kind of can rotate up or rotate down, and that could be a one or a zero. So, basically, a qubit is is maintaining that photon, okay, stable for enough time to make a calculation. So it's, it's, it's now that's why temperature has to be close to zero to keep that photon stable um, during enough time to do computations. Um, so it's it's kind of the hardware that is is keeping a photon that could be in a one or zero state, in a superposition of a one to zero state. So that's why the fabrication of these qubits is, is an extremely challenging issue. That's why quantum computers nowadays have at most uh, you know, 50, 60 qubits. That's why they have to be kept at extremely low, close to zero temperatures to, so, so the system is stable. Uh, so just to uh, okay. add uh, to it that uh, essentially the theoretical physics, uh, quantum physics uh, by Richard Feynman was developed in the early 70s. That's the theoretical foundation. And since then, the, uh, theoretically, to design qubits, design the fundamental elements of quantum computers, was in, let's say, theoretical physicists and computer engineers in mind. Uh, I'm, I'm let's say, following the developments by now for a good 20 years. So in the, <clears throat> in the end of 90s, early 2000s, um, the, the company which still exists, and one of the basic uh, quantum computing companies, D-Wave, at that point it was a small startup sponsored by major companies and the Canadian government, <clears throat> produced the first qubit. And they could produce the first qubit and sustain it for a fraction of a millisecond. But doing from a theoretical concept to something which physically could be made, that was a huge leap, a huge step. <clears throat> and then in the last uh, several years, I mean, uh, <clears throat> about four years ago, when uh, the first real physical quantum computer was announced that it exists with two and four qubits. So <clears throat> in the last four years, from these four qubits, uh, <clears throat> as my colleague said, Today we are uh, in a qubit range of uh, some like IBM, Google <coughs> has 
quantum computers with uh, 54 qubits, what they announced. <clears throat> so if you think in a four years time frame, that's the same kind of more slow, <laughs> doubling every year, every year and a half, as what we've seen in the old time in the silicon-based computers. But starting from two <laughs> to get to <laughs> 54, <laughs> you need this four or five years time frame. Uh, Louis, you mentioned stability. Uh, is that something we need to worry about at some point? That this thing could be out of control because of the mm -hmm. not not something not in a sense that it will be dangerous. That stability is is a big problem in quantum computers because it, it affects the reliability of the results. So even for classical computers, you know, taking into account potential errors, it's very important and developing you know, all the theory related to having control of noise in a classical computer is very important. So in quantum computers, this is much more challenging because you know these qubits have to be basically an isolated physical system, a completely isolated physical system, uh, which is very hard. So I mean, you can only do that for a certain amount of time. So, I mean, there is not, I mean, stability is important, not, not in the sense that, you know, the, the quantum computer is going to go unstable and something is going to happen, but uh, it's important in terms of are the results that I'm getting from the quantum computer meaningful, right? Uh, so, right now, the, the amount of noise that you get because the systems are not stable enough are I mean are, are not where they should be but again as, as Tamash was mentioning this is something that is developing and improving you know quickly three more uh, keywords maybe we could explain what is scaling in quantum computing um, so you know scaling refers to you know what what is the range of of where quantum computers will be useful, like, um, you know, so it is, we don't expect quantum computers to, say, beat a classical computer, say, on a small size problems. Um, what we expect, where quantum computers are going to be useful is really for humongous problems. Actually, the first person to come up with the concept of a, you know, at least with the idea, conceptual idea of a quantum computer was Richard Feynman as Thomas said in the, in the 70s and what he was basically saying is that you know physical systems you know are extremely complicated have you know so just simulating them you know simulating a physical system on a classical computer uh, with enough precision is just impossible so his idea was okay if we use quantum mechanics we might be able to simulate systems that are, you know, of much, much larger size. Um, so that's, I think, what scaling refers to, uh, that, that it is that quantum computers will be useful in this humongous problem. Uh, and of course, this is very important for finance, right? So, you know, this is the amount of data that has to be considered in, in in finance is, is growing and growing and, and to the point where maybe a classical computer is, is really not able at being 
is not even able to keep the data in memory. Okay, so it's basically speed versus scaling. So some machine we want to go faster, uh, but we want to be able to scale a lot better than on a What about uh, amplitude? Um, yes, I mean just to add a little bit, yep. a little bit to that point is that, for example, you know, the, as as Thomas was saying, companies like IBM and Google have actual com uh, quantum computers. Some people actually simulate them, so you can simulate a quantum computer, the behavior of a quantum computer in a classical computer. But you need humongous, you know, uh, classical machines to do do so. So, so if, uh, <coughs> if you simulate the so the theoretical model of a quantum computer, uh, <coughs> which the practical computer obviously is trying to be close to it, in a classical computer, uh, essentially view the 54 qubit. That's the limit. What can be simulated in the largest supercomputers of the world today? So that uh, if we go to like 120 <laughs> qubits, uh, that computer cannot. Uh, Quantum computer cannot be simulated in a classical world in the, any visible future. Yeah, so even a small quantum computer will soon, you know, have capacity that no classical computer could okay. basically ever reach. So amplitude. So going back to amplitude, so so we mentioned that you know one of the tricks of quantum computers is use this characteristic of quantum uh, uh, quantum mechanical states. Uh, so, you know, so say a light particle is in a superposition of states. Each of these states has an amplitude. So the spin of a particle could be up or down. When you ask, before measuring, when you ask what is the spin, you know, the way the particle rotates, you don't know. It has some chances of being one, some chances of being zero. Basically, these chances is what we is the amplitude. If the particle has more chances of being of rotating up, uh, then that means that the amplitude of that state in the superposition is higher. And when I measure, you know, this the state, it is more likely that I will find out out of my experiment that the particle is rotating up. Um, so, you know, one of the key things on quantum computer is that, I mean, you, you can keep a lot of information in qubits because you have this superposition of states. You are trying to find the best solution, say, to a problem. You know, a lot of the computer, you know, of the success of, of the computation goes down to how to manage these amplitudes so that I get the best answer to, to my problem. What about this term, which I believe is a bit controversial, but is uh, 2012, the quantum supremacy? Quantum supremacy is, uh, I say it's an extremely popular catchword in everyday life politics, in newspapers and others. Um, it was uh, originating from a more theoretical paper by a more theoretical computer science theoretical physics colleague about 10 years ago. Uh, and uh, essentially, it, it meant that uh, what uh, Luis was explaining, that as quantum computers has this potential of uh, exceedingly uh, solving problems in size and complexity of modeling and reflecting to them, uh, what uh, classical computers cannot do. So in, in that range for that kind of problems, 
the quantum computers are supreme, and that's what was detected as quantum supremacy. Now, uh, and that's definitely true that quantum computers has the potential to really uh, solve, address problems in size and complexity, what we just cannot handle in uh, classical silicon-based computers. It's a bit of overhyped, uh, especially today, because quantum computers today is called also NISC computers, noisy intermediate scale quantum computers, because uh, as what we can produce today, what we can manage today, they are noisy. They are interfering with with the environment, the qubits interfering with each other. So the actual computation is not that clean, not that error-free, not that noise-free, as the theoretical model would say. And to produce that, it's still uh, an open question uh, when we can get that in a big scale. Uh, as I also said, even in the silicon computer, we reach the physical limit. So if you go to try to go to narrower wires on the chip, then it's getting extremely noisy because electrodes are jumping from one wire to the other. Even with current uh, silicon computers, you have error correction, you have noise reduction. Even with your laptop, you cannot put it in the oven. It has to operate in a certain range. It's warming up, then it's starting to make more errors. Uh, the quantum computers at this point, the temperature range has to be close to the absolute zero. But even there, there's lots of interference, lots of noise. And everybody can understand that if you make a photo with a, let's say, bad life condition, not so great equipment, the, the picture will be noisy. You can go to Photoshop, denoise it. And up to a certain level, you can do it. For quantum computers, this is going in both sides. On the hardware development, which is a lot of material science, physics, electrical engineering, computer engineering, to produce more reliable equipment, but also going on the theoretical side. We need novel theoretical algorithms for denoising, for uh, error correction, because these are different kind, of, uh, uh, different kind of impacts, different kind of noises. It's different from, from the silicon computer too. So it's a lot of uh, developments needed to get it really in a large-scale quantum computer, which is reliably producing what we hope <laughs> and expect to produce. So let, let's talk about something that might impact everyone else. So let's say we're... I don't know how many years from now, but uh, everything is stable and we're running way faster than a, a, a standard computer and we're able to scale. What do you think the implication is going to be for security? Because right now we have 128-bit inscription, so that's going to just be obliterated with a, with a quantum computing. So what do you think is going to happen? There? It has to happen. Um, that's a part where, let's say, quantum supremacy is so scary, because uh, theoretically, uh, there is an algorithm uh, which says that on quantum computer, we can break every current code. Uh, so that's not going to be secure if nothing changes on that. Uh, now, the, at this point where everybody can still sleep for a few nights uh, without panicking, uh, we need a quantum computer with uh, ten thousands of qubits to implement that algorithm and reliably break all the security. And we're at fifty-four right now. So we are at fifty-four. We still have room. <laughs> I would say in, in a decade time we are probably there. Uh, there is a good chance that in a decade time we are there. By the time, obviously, all 
coding and security and everything will be different than okay. today. It has to be different. I would say 10 years is enough time to design. Okay. So it's not two years from now. We, we have time to think about it. Yeah. So we, we definitely have time to prepare for it, both theoretically and also for every uh, system uh, redesigned and improved on that. Yeah. Thankfully, it will be expensive for a hacker to to produce a 10,000 <laughs> qubit computer <laughs> in, in, the, in the near future. And, and there is the issue of the noise too. It's not only the scale of the quantum computer, but you know, you have to, you know, so yes, there have been articles that have shown that the, the, the impact of quantum computers on cryptography, but typically they are working on, on the assumption that on this ideal version of a quantum computer, which you know, as we have been talking about this issue of noise that, that is still far, far away too. Okay. So um, let's talk about the, um, let's speak of a plug. I guess uh, you, you both work, uh, work for Lehigh University. And, and Lewis, you are you, um, one of the director in our program, the financial engineering program, and you actually teach some of the optimization courses mm -hmm. taught in financial engineering. Last year, um, you both got a grant yeah, and, I, and it's quoted as an exploring optimization algorithm. And it basically, you want to explore the power of existing quantum computer and those in, in the future. Maybe you could tell us a little bit what you're trying to achieve. Yes. I, I believe you're working with others as well on this. It's not just... Yes, you. so um, this is a project we started working like about two years ago. We, we kind of decided that this was an exciting area to, to look into. And you know, with with Tamash and a, and a team of, of other members at Lehigh University, we uh, we sent uh, a proposal for funding uh, to DARPA to do research, um, especially in the direction of using quantum computers for optimization purposes. So we have already discussed a little bit about quantum supremacy. So um, actually, optimization which is our area of expertise is, is key. This is, this is an area where you know, quantum computers are expected to show how, how much better they could be than classical computers. So uh, the main idea of the proposal is to you know, better exploit quantum computers to solve optimization problems. Of course, this is very important in finance uh, you know, as, as our students learn in, in a number of courses, uh, you know, optimization is the backbone of many of the important things that are done in finance, like uh, portfolio optimization, option pricing, all these machine learning techniques. So, you know, the, the basic idea is how to better exploit the capacity of quantum computers to solve these optimization problems. Uh, sometimes, you know, there are results out there already, but they might be too naive or, or thinking of a quantum computer as a, as a per perfect machine. So, so you have to take into account noise, you have to take into account, you know, what size of computer you have to, to produce good results in optimization. You mentioned machine learning, so if you're correct, it, it would impact the way you uh, use machine learning uh, techniques and so I think for for you know machine learning is that the two things that that we have discussed are, are important like the, the size of the problem that that you can handle right so machine machine learning problems you know 
one of the ideas to use humongous amounts of data that are available, right? You know, we are at a point where for some machine learning problems, you know, a classical computer cannot even hold all the information to solve the problem. So quantum computers could be able to hold that information and also, you know, would be able to process it faster. Yes, it mm. will, you know, it will have a big impact. So how do you actually, because we, we uh, how do you access the computer itself, the, the, the quantum computer? You have a certain amount of time you could, how does it actually physically work? Are you going there, you're staying here, and you're asking somebody to do something for you, and you get the result back? Or? The, the research part uh, is, at this point, uh, majority theoretical. So designing algorithms based on the uh, computational model, uh, like uh, for the classical computer was Turing machine model. This is a different model, which is reasonably pretty good, describes how theoretically that computer works. So you are designing the algorithms based on that uh, theoretical framework. But uh, if you really want to do actual computation, then uh, you have to access to uh, actual computers. Now, uh, as I said, the, the actual quantum computers at this point are limited by qubits. There are similar, uh, even simulators, of what you can uh, have access. Um, so at this point, we are uh, working on the open platform of IBM. So the, so our students are learning the QuizKit uh, programming language. Some of them are going to a programming training camp in a few months' time, hopefully. Uh, uh, the national labs, like Oak Ridge National Lab, is essentially having uh, a collection, uh, actually, even not physically, uh, all of those computers from IBM, Rigetti, Google, BlueWave, QION, and uh, all the others, they, they essentially have access to all of them, and they are also providing access to the research community, to all of them. So all of this access is really through, uh, let's say, internet through through the cloud, <laughs> the cloud. Uh, because just like uh, when I was very young we had uh, mainframe computers they were uh, let's say huge machines with a lot of elements sort of like huge wardrobe size boxes in a in a air-conditioned gym so at that time you didn't have your laptop on your desk <laughs> we wrote up co code we give the card deck or the tape to the operators who were running it. So in some way, it's a similar system at this point, because going to physically the, the quantum computer, uh, <clears throat> it wouldn't really make any additional thing. I really want to program it. I want to solve a problem with it. So uh, it doesn't really matter if I'm next door or if I'm a few hundred or four thousand miles away. Uh, the code is submitted. Uh, Proper scheduling is getting to the computer. I'm getting the result back. <laughs> that's uh, that's as good as it could be. Uh, and uh, at this point, if you think about really optimization problems, uh, the complexity of the optimization algorithms is really stretching at this point uh, the capacities of the quantum computers uh, <clears throat> because they are not completely stable. There are many functions which are actually better in the silicon world, like storing data statically, reproducingly accessing to the same data. So in the near future, the quantum computers are almost like noisy, providing us uh, unprecedented capacities. On the other side, we still probably have to combine the classical computer with the quantum computer to take the good part of both of them 
and that will allow us to have really uh, uh, it's a novel and uh, uh, very strong, very good solutions. Basically, this is still very much a work in progress. So, yes, and that and that's the key to this idea of supremacy. Like, you know, can you really? So people are looking for this. Uh, is I mean, how much evidence can you hit that at some point? You know, quantum computers would reach this this point that that we have been discussing, where when they interact with classical computers, it really allows to do things that we can only dream right now. <laughs> but this is something that's going to happen. It's not. It's not. We're just trying, and you know what? Maybe we found something better. Yeah, I mean, th that's exactly the reason why about two years ago we moved to this area. Because I said, uh, I followed the quantum computing developments for more than 20 years by now. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the first 15 years, it was really a only a theoretical possibility. There was no existing uh, quantum computer. Even for a fraction of a millisecond, a nanosecond, creating a qubit, that was a huge step. Uh, but, but four years ago, you started to see that quantum computer exists. And even just in this few years' time, the development of the quantum computers followed pretty much more slow, doubling in every year, year and a half time, uh, by capacity, by reliability. So it's quite clear that it's happening and it's exploding. Um, so every major country, um, not only the United States, is in making major investments in quantum computing. Uh, also here, President Trump and the Congress allocated a billion dollar uh, a year about a year ago. Just last week was coming out that this investment is double. So it's, it's really in the multi-billion dollar scale and it looks like the investment is also scaling up <laughs> with the, with like, the computers. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like, like the race to space, right now there is, there is a big international race uh, who is going to be you know, the, the country that might have you know, might achieve this quantum supremacy. Yeah. So, so there is there is a lot of investment uh, uh, from different countries on on, on this. And okay, so I'll I'm, I'm, uh, I'll I'll end it here because uh, we have to um, be conscious of time, and uh, you still have lots of discoveries to be made, and maybe you could come back at some later date to update us as to what has happened. I think it's very important. So I wanted to thank you both for participating in this podcast. Thank you for inviting us. Thank Happy you. Thank you. Okay.